This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, Danielle, something so embarrassing happened to me last week. What happened? I'm mortified. I knew this day was... Did you, like, poop the bed? No, 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 no. (laughs) No. But I knew this day was going to come. Like, I knew this day was going to come. So I was orienting my new clinical group, my nursing students. I was orienting them to the hospital. And it's a new group, so I've never met them before. And we're, like, doing intros, whatever. And one of my students was, like, Jackie, like, in front of the entire group, was like, Jackie, I have to tell you, like, you came up on my For You page on TikTok. <laughs> and I was like... You're TikTok famous among I your was nursing like, students. Fuck. I was like, which one was it? And she was like, it was one of the videos where I'm like being a clinical instructor in the video, making fun of my nursing students in the video. She was like, oh no. She was like, she walked me through it. She's like, yeah. So I'm like scrolling on TikTok. And then I see this funny video about a nursing instructor making fun of their nursing students. And I thought it was really funny. And then she like watched it again. She was like, wait, I think that's actually my freaking clinical instructor. It's me. <laughs> Jack, I think you just need to accept the fact that you are TikTok famous. I was so mortified. And I was like, it's it's officially here. Like, now they're going to know me on TikTok. And it's just, I, I just want to die. Like, I just want <laughs> But do you, let's unpack this. I, you are so funny on TikTok. But I, okay, I I can see how you're trying to maintain, like, some sort of professionalism because, you know. I just, like, have accepted that, like, it's just a cringy thing and, like, it is what it is. And I just, I'm like, hey, like, we could use the follows. So, like, follow along. You start plugging the TikTok in the Walmart. I'm like, you know, just, you You know. You actually should be like, here, tell all your friends if you want to know how to impress me, aka your clinical instructor, download the WOMED every Monday. You might find hidden little gems in there, specifically our episode dedicated to nursing students. Plug, plug. Yeah, I'm not saying I'll give you an A on your care plan, but I mean, maybe I'll I'll throw some free points on there. <laughs> anyway, it was very funny. They were very, no, they were actually very sweet and very like cute about it. And they made sure I didn't feel like a total loser, but it was, it was very funny. I knew this day eventually was going to come where like someone would say something about Instagram or like whatever. So here we are, but no, we have a very... I love my students so much. They're so cute. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Do you, do you make a disclosure? You're going to have to start making a disclosure or disclaimer at the start of each new clinical rotation. Be like, 
Yes, you might know me from TikTok or Instagram or the greatest medical-based podcast, The WOMED, but those DMs are not open for clinical questions. You can email me here. (laughs) I actually did have a student once DM me a question about an assignment, and that's, like, where I draw the line. I'm like, listen, I'm like, you can follow me. Like, we can follow each other on Instagram, whatever, but, like, do not DM me questions about your assignment. Anyway, that's that. Please tell me that you have, like, some sort of, like, embarrassing moment or something embarrassing that you've been, like, watching or doing. Like, please. So I can just, like, feel better about myself. Oh, I was really embarrassed to admit this until I recently got my hair done. And I was scrolling on my phone, and you know you overhear other conversations. And this one girl sits down, and she's, um, like, getting her hair done, and her stylist is like, oh, what are you, like, watching? Like, are you watching anything good? And she goes, I've actually just, like, restarted Vampire Diaries, and I'm on, like, season five. And then another girl chimes in. She's like, oh, my God, I'm making, like, my boyfriend rewatch it, too. And these are not, like— tweens by any means you know they're like late 20s 30s like myself and I turn around I go okay (laughs) yeah I'm rewatching it too rewatch it no shame zero zero shame how far are you like where are you in Vamp Diaries I think I just started season six and it's only it's like I don't watch it like consistently but I'll get on like a couple of episode binges but then I get so frustrated and you I feel like when these season when these these shows have gone on for so long. You hit a point where you're like, oh, man, <laughs> these writers are really stretching for something new here. And I just I just want a happy ending for people. But Vampire Diaries has had such a crazy arc. I mean, they've had like two spinoff shows. I know. And they've kept this thing alive. But it's also – don't – raise raise like – you hear it, Ray? <laughs> Ray's thinking about all the hot men on Vamp Diaries. Oh, my God. No, there really are. Wait, They're, like, like, very attractive. This is such an important question. Who is your number one hot person on Vamp Diaries? Because, like, who, who, who's your guy? Who's your guy? It's a hard question. It says a lot about you it's as a, real, a person. It's a, it's a really hard question. Yeah. Because there are things that really bother me about both Stefan and Damon. But they're two extremely attractive individuals. I have a curveball for you. I'm I'm neither. I'm neither. But no, I love Matt. <gasps> you would. He's just so kind you and good. Would. And he's the guy that I never dated. You would. Never dated him. You would. But like now I'm like, Matt is like the kindest. But okay, here's the thing I don't, and for anyone, spoiler alert, who hasn't seen it, which I never finished watching the series. I think I only watched like two seasons. Caroline and uh, Stefan make zero sense. Zero. Like they're pushing so hard to try and make this like a romantic connection. It isn't. Yeah. It makes no sense. No. I'm sorry, Caroline. It just doesn't. No. No, it doesn't compute. No, I completely agree with you. I agree. Um, I was always, well, I I will just say this, that my guy, any guesses? I don't think you're going to guess it. Klaus. No, I'm just kidding. No, it (laughs) is. Oh, really? I was going to say Jeremy. And then I was going to be like, you should. You got Danielle, I don't know why. Like, I think Klaus is so hot. hot. 
He's close as hot. So hot. I don't but know it's, it's not like, it's not the murdery stuff. I think it's the way like he speaks and like his lips. Like they're very kissable. It's like the bad boy thing too. I don't know what it is about Klaus. Klaus is so freaking hot. Like, and I'm so team Klaus and Caroline. So team Klaus yes. and Caroline. Yes. Yeah. Klaus is the hottest wow, on this show. Took, this took a really interesting <laughs> turn for the beginning of this episode. Because <laughs> this is not what we talk about. We're gonna put a poll up. Who's the hottest on Vampire Diaries? <laughs> well, anyway, happy two-year anniversary. Can you say happy? No. Can you? No. It was no. Not, well, I mean, I think we can now because we're, like, kind of close to the... I'm, I'm not even want to... I don't want to jinx anything. Don't jinx. Okay. Don't jinx it. Um, how about a... How about congratulations? Would. Instead of happy, congratulations, we are at the two-year anniversary. Is that a word? That or would we've it, survived pandemiversary, pandemiversary, or pan paniversary. Yeah, I don't even know what to say. Just it's not happy. It's like congratulations sounds weird, but it's just like here we are. It is. We've reached this milestone. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. Uh, it's, this just took a really sharp, dark turn. But I think it's important to acknowledge it and acknowledge where we started and where we're at now. And I'm so grateful that uh, Christian Franz uh, came on the pod and spoke with us today. He is just hearing, hearing firsthand accounts of what it was like to be a and fresh off orientation nurse. And then, you know, a couple months later have in New York City, and then have the pandemic hit. Oh, just what an what an incredible human! Um, I'm really grateful for everything uh, he shared and his experiences, and I'm just excited for everyone to kind of hear just the joy and positivity, you know, that he radiates. That you know, we we really need, you know, and and a, a sweet little message about why. You should maybe stay in nursing. So, I agree. It was such a gift to have him on and have Franz share what it was like to work as an ICU nurse during the epicenter um, of COVID in New York two years ago. And I just want to, you know, give space to everyone that's listening and hope that you are, you know, after these two years, you're taking care of yourself. And with this episode, we do dive a little bit deep into the mental health effects of healthcare workers that have experienced some of these traumas. So we touch on depression, anxiety, PTSD, and talk about the recent suicide rates that are happening um, among healthcare workers. So please let that be a trigger warning for anyone that is experiencing um, anything like that. We will put some resources for you in the show notes for mental health to support yourself as we are approaching this two-year anniversary. So thanks so much for Chris for coming on the podcast. We hope you love this episode. Christian Franz, my dear friends with Franz, Welcome to the WOMED. We are so excited to have you on here. I wish it could have been in person, but you know, I got the vid. <laughs> I shouldn't I shouldn't say it like well, I I feel like even saying it, I was like, 
I was too dirty to come to New York City. And there's still that, like, shame around COVID. But, you know. I know. I'm glad I'm getting to connect with you virtually, even if we haven't yet been able to meet in person. I know. I mean, we met through... Formerly through FaceTime right before Katie's concert. So that's something. But hello and thank you so much, Dee and Jackie, for having me on. It's such an honor. It is a dream to be here in this space with you today. So thank you so much. You're just the most gorgeous, light filled human. <laughs> like you make me so happy. I love following you. Uh, thank you so much. And it's the same for me. I was so sad that. That Danielle, obviously, we've talked about it. It was so sad that she couldn't come to New York. And so originally, this interview was scheduled in person in New York Mm -hmm. a few weeks ago or maybe a few months ago now at this point. But uh, uh, Christian and I... Um, Danielle still has post COVID. Whatever. (laughs) No, it's it's morning voice. It's morning voice. Oh, it's morning voice. Okay, okay. But Chris and I were able to get like the most bougie, amazing brunch in New York. And we were so sad that Danielle wasn't there. But (laughs) I feel like we have so much to dive into with this episode. You are a nurse. You are a fellow podcaster. You have worked through New York being the epicenter of the COVID world. And we are approaching this, you know, it's crazy to think we're approaching this two-year I call it Paniversary, um, is coming up in March. But really, you know, the two-year anniversary is coming up of when New York was considered the epicenter of the COVID crisis. So mm-hmm. you were working as a new nurse. Yes, you How got that right. How are you right. feeling? Like, I, I mean, this is a, like a loaded question, but like, take us back, like, two years ago. I graduated nursing school that June of 2019. And then I became a nurse that summer of 2019, and I started in the hospital. So I worked in a cardiac surgery step-down floor in the hospital, and I started around end of November-ish. And then, you know, I was in orientation, I was transitioning into night shift, and I finished my orientation around the third week of January. And then we were starting to hear news about this pneumonia of unknown costs going around in some parts of Asia and some parts of Europe. But I think we were just, you know, it's not going to come to us. We're going to contain it. It'll be fine. It's just like the flu. (laughs) And then the 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 next thing you know, the worst thing. And then I can just vividly remember one night shift at around 11 p.m. when a cardiac fellow was running upstairs to our floor in the 10th floor from the emergency room. And she was like, oh my gosh, we have our first PUI, patient under investigation for this fever and this non-productive cough and some body aches. And we were like, oh my gosh, could this be it? And during that time, we had like no testing or at least the serial testing that we have now. And in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just was starting to get used to my unit and a cardiac floor. But then Still, no one understood the gravity of the things that were yet to come. And then we started hearing more of doctors didn't want to see those patients because they were really sick and we had no PPE. And the CDC guidelines were still like, oh, you didn't need to wear a mask yet. Or, oh, you didn't need PPE yet. So we were all like, okay, okay. Um, Let's see how this plays along. Until 
there was one night where another fellow came up and they said, oh, we ran out of beds. So your floor has to take this patient now. This very first patient who's supposedly under investigation. And because uh, they had to go through all of the floors first. They had to go through all of the med search floors and the medical ICUs. And then it came to us because we were like at the highest floor wise. And the patient was supposed to come to me because I was open for admission. And in my mind, I was like, oh my gosh. And during that time, we had no like PPEs yet. We were really short. We were using only surgical masks. We weren't even into like N95s yet. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so scared. I don't know. And then good thing, one of the senior nurses like patted me in the back and he was like, I'll take the patient for you and you can watch me how I take care of that patient. And so it was just a spell of fear over everyone. And this was like during the first few weeks of February and the full blown came when March came in and April came in. And it was a lot. I was talking to Jackie and Shelly about this in our brunch that there's still some things that I think I've repressed with our experiences in our floor because it was converted into a COVID ICU because all of the elective surgeries were halted. And honestly, during those, those times, we we're like, where did all of the stroke patients go? Where did all of our heart attack patients go? Because everyone was just COVID. And mm-hmm. we were recruiting travel nurses from everybody of ICU experience. And here I was a nurse with two years of orientation experience and was brought into this space. And in my mind, I was like, I need help. So I would go to my charge nurses and to the NPs who've been there for 20 years and to the PAs and to the physicians. And I said, I need help. And I can vividly remember my charge nurse who's been there for 40 years. She told me, She gave me a hug and she said, me too, Christian, I need help too. And that's when I knew I had no idea what I was coming in for. And my mom has been a nurse for 30 years, bedside for 30 years, was also working in the COVID unit that time. She was like, you came into nursing at the wrong time. And, you know, it may be, but having gone through all of that, despite all of the anguish and fear and pain and all of the things that I've seen that we can talk about more, I also think I came in at the right time because I think that was the time when people needed us most. This is why you're just this lovely, just kind, valuable human. And thank you. you make me for cry. <laughs> Uh, I mean, like, I'm like, I'm welling up over here. I know Jack is too, but just that, thank you for sharing your experience. I mean, that's, that's something that's weighed heavy on me. And especially throughout the pandemic, thinking about all the, the new nurses who are, you know, just trying to get their, their feet under them and experience what it's like to be a bedside nurse. You know, you're finally putting all of your four years of, or two or like whatever, you know, Uh, type of Mm -hmm. uh, schooling that you've been through you're trying to put those all that knowledge into action and god to to just be thrown into a situation like that where you know now nurses aren't even you know they're getting like a mediocre orientation if Mm -hmm. if anything you know um 
I can't fathom carrying that 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 trauma from working through the spike of 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 the pandemic. Yeah, I got very emotional there when you were sharing your experience because I think anyone that has ever worked as a nurse it remembers what it was like to be a new nurse and remembering that fear already and feeling like the the world is already on your shoulders and you have so much to learn and, and you don't feel prepared. You, you don't feel prepared at all. And um, as a clinical instructor too, I think about like my, my students, like I look at them as like my children almost and having to, to think about being forced into this COVID world where there's so much fear and unknown and you just had to adapt. I just, I, give you the utmost like respect. And I just, I can't believe that you you did that. Like, I'm just so impressed and so um, like honored to talk to you and hear more about I'm grateful. your, yeah, your experiences. And I'm so glad that you have the space here to, you know, hear. And then with your own podcast to kind of t- to keep talking about what you've experienced because it's extremely unique and people need to hear what it was really like, because I think that, you know, the media often portrayed a different story Mm -hmm. or maybe it did, you know, I don't know. How do you feel about that? How was that like for you? Yeah. You know, the media was on wildfire during those times. And at the same time, I, as much as it hurts to say, I couldn't blame the media because they were not inside the four walls of the hospitals that, and seeing the things that we were seeing and going through all the things that we were seeing. When I say that I thought I was daydreaming in the movie, I really thought every day that I just tried to survive each day. And I would look at the wall sometimes and I'm like, I cannot believe this is happening. You know, those news that we saw about freezers outside the hospital, freezer trucks to contain the bodies because there's too much. You know, I would, <laughs> bad idea. But during those times when they, when they would release those videos, I would read the comments on Facebook and they'd be like, this is a hoax. This is not true. There's no such thing as a pandemic. And I was reading that separated from my mom. So I lived with my mom. And when the whole COVID thing was happening here in New York City, I had to be separated from her. The hospital offered, she, she's a single mom, so it was just me and her throughout our whole lives. I don't think there was a time when we were ever <laughs> separated for that long. And the hospital was like, oh, we'll give you a hotel room to limit contagion at home. And my mom was already working in a COVID setting as well. So mm-hmm. in my mind, I was like, I should separate from her because I don't want, like, her exposure and my exposure to just like amalgamate and mm-hmm. we'll just see who's gonna get infected first you know I mean there'll be times when me and my mom would meet in the living room and I was like do you have it do you have it because mm-hmm. um, at that rate we were just like someone was ought to have it so I got separated from her and I would literally just walk to work from Times Square because that's where the place they gave us was and you know New York, busy as always. And mm-hmm. each day I would walk to work. New- Times Square was just so empty. And it was just so foggy. It's so quiet. There were no cars. There were no people that you could hear a pin drop. And I would walk to work in that fogginess. And I just felt like I was going 
to the end of the world each time I was going to work. And then once you get to work, everyone's just running all over the place. Each shift, everyone was just running. The first night our floor was converted to a COVID ICU, there were only four of us because everyone else was sick, called out, or retired. And I was the only new nurse on the very first night of COVID. The air floor was converted. And yeah, so like I was saying, the news, that was true. Patients were dying all over the place. Nothing we were doing were working. We've had patients who've been on the floor for three months, survived cardiac surgery, spinal surgery, lifelong heart failure, and they made it. But it was COVID that really took their lives and I mean this phone (laughs) I was like I will never get rid of this phone because my phone the amount of times I had to call patients families using my own phone through FaceTime or Zoom so their loved ones could say goodbye to them for the very last time through the phone and we also had iPad systems to set that up and I just remember typing the meeting ID and the password and like setting up the Zoom and I would just face the Zoom to the patient in the bed and I'd turn around because the family member on the other side would just be screeching and crying and saying, please hold on, you have to wait until this is over. And I remember I had a 90-year-old female patient, and she had COVID, and her blood pressure were already tanking. And we had to call the son in another state. And the doctors, the physicians, and the team and I were like, oh, maybe it's time for, you know, let's think about the advanced directives of your mom. And he was like, no, just going to make it is gonna make it so we ended up having to code um the patient and just throughout the whole time you could just hear the son screeching like crying for his mom and that's just one of the stories the amount of hands i've had to hold as they take their last breath the amount of tears i saw fall out of patients ears and like is there anything painful and there'll be like no it's like are you hungry are you thirsty and they'll be like no and i'll be like are you tired and they'll just nod their heads and tears would fall out of their eyes we'd have seven to ten patients die each night and we do cpr on those patients and right after you give that one minute of silence but you don't have time to recuperate. You go to the next room where another code is happening and to the another room where a code is happening. And I've never seen that many nurses cry, decade-long physicians crying, medical residents kneeling down in the corner of the room because the amount of times they had to call the code to end. And then there was me who had no idea really what was going on because... In my mind, I entered my role as a bedside nurse is I'm going to be the best cardiac nurse as possible that I can be for my patients. And I tried that for the first two months doing orientation. Right? I'm just trying to, when we're on orientation, we're gathering 
the knowledge that our preceptors are giving to us. At the same time, trying to execute that in our clinical skills. So I was trying to do that at the same time. And then I had to revert that into a completely different setting. And it was like, not to diminish, obviously, the military's efforts and the armies, but it was literally like a war zone. We were sweating in our PPE. We were running all over the place. And uh, I remember one night where I just thought to myself, who do I look up to at this moment when everyone else is looking somewhere else for inspiration and motivation? And that's where I saw the power of teamwork. Honestly, we just knew that patients were just going to die as sinister and as sad as that sounded because in the beginning, we really had no idea what we were doing. We were giving oxygen efforts. We were titrating medications, ventilators, proning. Nothing was working. So our goal each night was to just survive the end of the shift and then to come on for the next night because no one was there to work. So we had to go to work and we chose to go to work. And it was, it was hard times. It was hard times. I mean, honestly, even hearing you relive some of these things, it makes me think about how much unresolved mental health effects, like so many healthcare workers are experiencing and the amount of PTSD that is so like, how could, how could you experience all of this and and not like, there's no, Mm -hmm. no one was no one, no healthcare worker could ever have been prepared to experience what you experienced. I'm just, you know, it's been two years now, like how I would imagine it probably feels like a, a different lifetime ago, but you can also remember those memories like, like it was yesterday. So like, how, how have you processed? Like, how, how do you even process like what happened? I know you said that in a way, it feels like you've repressed some of these experiences, which of course, how could you not? I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. But how does it feel like coming up now being almost two years? That's a very hard question to answer because we're still going through it in some form or another. And I'm constantly reminded of it still. I no longer work bedside, but when I hear friend stories still or see things on the internet. It still really comes up to me. But yeah, I I think I really try to ground myself on the things that I love doing prior to the pandemic. So at least there's that sense of constancy and stability still. Hobbies like dancing or creating videos and talking to my friends who also went through the pandemic is, I mean, on the bedside, because a few of my classmates who are also new grads also worked in the same settings because no hospital or facility was unscathed by our spike (laughs) that spring of 2020. And uh, yeah, and I think repression has its benefits sometimes. I mean, I always tell my friends that for some reason, like a few months after our spike, so let's say June, July, August of that year of 2020, I really have no recollection. And if you look at my calendar on my computer, I usually plot like every day, like what happens, like every hour that I planned. And for some reason, it's so weird that June, July, August of that year, 
I had nothing in my calendar. And so I really don't even have any recollection of what I did that time. Because usually when friends are like, oh, remember when we went to this place at this time? I would know the date and time because it'd be in my calendar. But during those months, I think I was just so devoid of energy and that mental stability that I don't remember much stuff. And as for now, at least, it's helping me so far. But there were um, therapy sessions that were offered by the hospitals, which is really helpful. And just sticking to each other during those times. You know, everyone became a backbone during those times. Nurses, respiratory therapists, um, the nursing assistants, the techs, the environmental team, the physicians, the advanced providers, the social workers all the other therapists, like physical, occupational therapists, everyone was just working hand in hand. And to some extent, I think that kind of alleviated the potential degree could have been worse, you know. And that's not to undermine the worst outcomes that happened. Um, Yeah, so I think those were helpful. And even until now, like, talking about it for some reason and i think probably that's just the type of person that i am reliving some stuff is very cathartic for me and that's why i'm so grateful and honored that you had me on this space to talk about this because it is very cathartic Just listening to you speak through, you know, these traumas and, and, and I know, I mean, it truly was, I I don't think you're wrong in calling it a war zone at all. You know, it's, it's just a different type of war and battle that you guys were fighting. And I, (laughs) this might just sound really stupid, but like, I feel like every healthcare worker that worked through the pandemic like I don't know why y'all haven't been given the presidential medal of honor like I truly like they truly deserve the highest award that like America can offer and not that that would you know take away any of the pain or trauma but like just showing back up for healthcare workers I mean like you were saying you were seeing these videos that of the body trucks and how people are like, that's a hoax. That's not real. And it's like, America just really needs to collectively validate the experience that healthcare workers have endured. Like there's, there's nothing fake. Like y'all wish this was fake. I wish. (laughs) Yeah. You know, also like, I think now we're at such a unique time in the pandemic, like two years later, we're starting to see mask mandates lifted you know, obviously there's a lot going on in the world. So like, it it almost feels like the next news story is happening like constantly now. And like the pandemic is already starting to feel like a part of the past. And that worries me like that, that concerns me to think about like, are we just going to kind of push what happened under the rug and not address the mental health of healthcare workers? And now we are starting to see those statistics climb of rates of depression, Mm -hmm. anxiety burnout um, healthcare workers leaving and so and ultimately yeah the worst the worst of them all suicide 
Yeah, and I feel like that's a, and I know that's a very important topic. I remember during my orientation, someone said, not all wounds are visible and not all hurts are touchable. And that is so true. And I think the pandemic really showed that. You know, one of my dear friends is an emergency medicine physician who also went through this whole spike and was actually a first-hand reporter of it on the news. He said, the problems that we've seen in healthcare and in society during COVID, they existed prior to COVID. It's just being shown to light now. And I think one of that is the broken healthcare system. And I think that's what this pandemic showed. And I think one of the brokenness of our system is our quick, our quickness to shrug off the aspect of mental health. And especially during gruesome times like that, throughout the whole pandemic, we had a heightened rate of physician and nurse suicide. And we had one that was really in the news here in New York City. Um, Dr. Lorna Breen, she was the medical director of the emergency medicine services here in, in one of the hospital systems here in New York City. And I cannot fathom the amount of pain and frustration she felt because of all of the things that were happening here. There were ambulance sirens going off every single second. We had patients who were going through respiratory depression in the emergency rooms because we had no more space in our hospital floors to take them. People were dying in emergency rooms and I just can't imagine the emotional toll that took not only on her, but on everybody. And it just showed the importance of how much we also have to listen to our healers. You know, we truly cannot pour from an empty cup. And I think that as a society and as a community and as a system within healthcare, I think it is our job to each other to continually keep that cup overflowing with support and love and appreciation and honestly just hearing each other out because I'm not the only one who went through this. I'm not the only new grad who went through this. And I think even at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you were a new grad or a veteran nurse working through this. It was just us collectively being in this war zone, like you said, where everyone's just trying to survive, you know? And also, I know we've been talking a lot about the inpatient and bedside nurses, but I also want to take this time to thank every healthcare worker, even outside of the bedside, because the world didn't stop just for COVID. We still had our outpatients. We still had our operations that needed to be at home that were already at home. And, you know, I think it was just everybody, everybody in the healthcare sphere and even everyone outside it were affected one way or another by this pandemic. And I just want to thank everybody for that, whether inside the hospital or outside the hospital, because we still had the whole world to keep on going throughout all of this. And uh, yeah, and I think that was a huge on everyone's mental health. And we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> I think a lot of 
continued work and stuff going forward too, especially surrounding uh, the mental health of healthcare workers. Because, I mean, no one is supposed to see that amount of trauma and be okay. And, you know, for people to like, well, that's the job that you signed up for. It's like, well, no one signed up for a Mm -hmm. pandemic. You know, no one signed up to see that compounding and feel that, like, all those deaths that you see come compound on each other. And I think with suicide rates and stuff escalating just across, you know, the world, I feel like in the media there's been so many, so many deaths lately to to suicide, whether they're um, pageant queens or or nurses, or it, it just hits really, it hits really close to home. I don't think any family has really not been touched by the effects of this pandemic, by the effects of uh, suicide or attempts or severe depression. We just need, we got to figure out a way to be better, <laughs> to, to support each other better, to to have better resources and stuff when these types of not even when these things happen, like all the time, yeah. like we, it's our mental health is just so, so neglected. Yeah. I'm curious, Franz, in the last two years, have, did you ever consider leaving healthcare? Just like totally just to kind of like protect yourself or, you know, cause I think like one thing I was so surprised, like when I, when we first met in New York, I was so blown away by your optimism and mm-hmm. your ability to kind of like take all of these experiences that you've had and use them, um, as like fuel to kind of keep going. But I think that like leaving healthcare is like a real thing that a lot of people have considered. I mean, even I have mm-hmm. considered it. Yeah. Like, is this something I really want to do? <laughs> Yeah, I think there were instances throughout all of this where I was like, now should be the best time to leave and now should be the time to go. And personally, and I say personally because people have left and I am happy for them because honestly, this pandemic just showed how life is so short so that you should go after the things that you really want to go after and not do the things that you don't see yourself in, right? and. I can't blame anyone for leaving healthcare at all or leaving a certain unit for another unit. As for me, I think there were instances where I was like, one, this is not what I signed up for specifically. (laughs) And two, there's so many flaws in the healthcare system that needs to be fixed. And it's so sad that we're going through this and now is the time to leave. And three, is this good for my mental health? And uh, personally, I don't know why, but I just took all of those and uh, just for me, turned it into more of a motivation to be like, there's a lot of things to fix and I want to be there to help with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's hard. It's not an easy field to work at. I mean, I don't think there's an, any easy field to work at, but especially healthcare, given in these in this climate, it's so not easy at all. But I don't know. I, ever since I was a kid, I just always wanted to fix things, and I think this is one thing that I want to use my life to fix. So I decided to stay in it. Yeah. 
I feel that. I really do. That kind of brings me to the next point here about um, some changes maybe that you have coming up. (laughs) Um, So you've been working as a nurse, as an ICU nurse, but you are thinking about applying to medical school or you are applying to medical school. Let's jump into that. How did that come up? Because, you know, I think a lot of nurses get asked that question. And Mm -hmm. whenever I get asked that, I always like, there's always a part of me that has actually honestly thought about it. I'm like, you know what? Like, that's, I I really think that's amazing when nurses try to make that pivot in their career and consider going into medicine. And do make that pivot. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, are we are we spoiling it? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. I love it. it here first. <laughs> Hi, Instagram. This is the news. No. <laughs> here's the yeah. Tea. <laughs> here's the tea. No, it was a very, very, very big decision, but it was not a decision that I, I'd say I just made recently. I think growing up, medicine has always been my focal point because I think based on what I've seen with my what my mom do when I visit her at the hospital and I see how physicians also work. So the story is coming out of high school, I knew that I wanted to do pre-medicine as my pathway. And in my college, Hunter College, how you apply as an undergrad is you tell them what track you want to be in and they put you in what they call like a learning block. So like they schedule out your your curriculum for you. So if you're going to do like pre-nursing, they pre-made that up for you. If you're doing pre-medicine, you do this or this or that. So I applied for the bio track for the pre-med track because all this time I knew that I wanted to do medicine. <laughs> and then when I, ex- when I received my acceptance letter, it says, welcome to Hunter College and welcome to the pre-nursing program. And in my mind, I'm like, wait, I, this is... This is not what I signed up for again. <laughs> and and my mom was a nurse for, again, like I said, 30 years. And there's this Filipino stereotype that every Filipino in the, in the United States is a nurse. So I think kind of somehow I wanted to also be elusive to that fact. But so, and then I talked to one of the advisors. They were like, oh, your application was mismatched with someone who was doing pre-nursing because your last names were similar. I was like, wait, how, how is this possible? So in my mind, I was like, you know what? Maybe this is the universe trying to tell me that I have to do nursing. So my plan was to make nursing my pre-medicine and take my pre-med prereqs during nursing school. Little did I know that nursing school it's a freaking hard major. <laughs> Dear Lord, to anyone who's saying nursing school is easy, I dare you to go through nursing school. <laughs> I didn't know that there were clinical rotations. I didn't know they had to stay up all night studying pharmacology and pathophysiology and med surge. So that whole plan of taking pre-med prereq didn't happen. So I became a nurse and... I saw the beauty in nursing. You know, I thought I knew what nursing meant because my mom would tell me stories growing up. But you don't know how it is to be a nurse until you become a nurse yourself. And yeah, so I went through nursing. I became a nurse. I worked as a nurse. And I think it was during that time, during that pandemic, that's when I really was like, 
Oh, medicine really is my first love. And it was such a hard decision because one, I love nursing and I am proud to become a nurse. And there is nothing like a nurse. The amount of time you spend with our patients and the interpersonal connection, nothing, nothing. And as someone who's pursuing medicine, I can confidently say that there is nothing that matches that connection between a nurse and their patient. Um, you go inside the room and you garner that trust for those 12 hours, for every second of those 12 hours or eight hours from every work. So yeah, I think that decision um, was not easy, but it just came from a point of seeing all of my patients die during the spike and they would tell me their regrets right before they give their last breath. And uh, I thought life is so short. And if I was going to die today or tomorrow, I want to be, to be at least in the pathway of where I wanted to be in life. And, and for me, that was medicine. You know, I envision a world where I take my nursing experience and my nursing identity. Because once a nurse, you're always a nurse. And uh, just bridge though idealistic as it sounds, to bridge the gap between nursing and medicine. Because there is so much misunderstanding coming from both sides because physicians will never know how it will be to become a nurse. And I don't think nurses will ever know how it will be to become a physician. And I think as someone who was a nurse first to bring that into a space of medicine, I think this is one of the flaws that we can fix, right? Is to just show that we're all in this for the patient. It's all about the patient. The oaths we may take may be different. The boards we may take may be different. But the underpinning of all of this is the patient. And uh, yeah, and that's my goal in life. And I do one day want to you know, extend my practice and my service to the few people that I grew up with in the Philippines, where right now only medicine is acknowledged. Advanced practice providers do not exist in many countries in Asia. Mm. Um, as of currently, whether it's for the funding of new institutions and new programs. So for me, the path that I saw for myself was medicine to achieve that dream of bridging worlds together for the better and for patients so yeah so excited and nervous <laughs> you are such a badass <laughs> like like that's literally only gonna make you a better provider you know ha have being able to bridge like both the nursing world and you know the 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 doctor world, you know, <laughs> because you're right. There is something so special about the relationship that you garner with your patients as a nurse. And you're only going to be able to take that into your role as a physician, as a doctor. And also in how, you know, doctors, some doctors still treat nurses and view nurses. So kind of being able to change, you know, that dynamic too and, um, well, and help change it. You know, there's a lot of um, doctors that are like, no, I would not, I, I wouldn't get through a shift without my nurses, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. understand the value and working through as a team and seeing equally 
So I think I think you are just such a gift to to the medical community. So uh, thank you so much. You are absolutely a gift to medicine. And now we get to experience that gift every week with you have recently transitioned what was once an IG live, an IGTV series into a podcast. So what is your goal behind this? Like, who are you trying to interview? What are some of the topics that you're talking about? What can we look for with Friends of Franz? P.S. Yes. Best podcast name next to the WOMED, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my friend Christina made that name and for the IG um, live stream series. And I was like, I don't know what to call it. And she was like, Friends of Franz. I was like, that has to be it. That has Done. to be That's it. Perfect. And that was it. Done. Done. So yeah, my goals for the podcast, I think it roots from the reason why I started it in the first place. And it really started from our spike here in New York City, honestly, for COVID. There was one time we I just finished a shift and we had like almost seven, ten patients die that night. And as I was coming off my night shift, I was walking from the hospital to the train station. There's a church nearby and there was a COVID is a hoax protest with all their posters and people shouting that it's a pandemic and all of those sorts of statements. And then during that time, we were also seeing a lot of things posted on the internet online. And then when we were planning to disseminate the COVID-19 vaccinations, there was so much misinformation and disinformation and myths going on online. So in my mind, I was like, who are allowing these people to take up the space and make these claims when they have no idea what went on in the hospital or have no idea about the science behind the vaccines and the medical technologies that we have? So I was like, why don't we get the actual experts of the field who are educated and trained to talk about their fields and, you know, try to dismiss and tackle the misinformation going on around their fields. So, and at the same time, I wanted to also show the lives of healthcare workers outside of medicine, outside of nursing, outside of healthcare. Because I feel like our professions consume our identity and we forget who we are outside of Nurse Danielle or Nurse Jackie or Nurse Christian and where and there's 24-7. When that's not true, we're, you know, we're creative people. We love to eat this. We love to travel. We, have, we love to do this and that. So I garnered and harnessed both of those goals together. And that's why we called it Friends of France. Because I wanted to be that sense of this person know what they're talking about, you know. And that, that's the reason why I decided to make it an IG live stream because I wanted people to come in and watch live so that they had questions at the top of their mind at that moment about that. Let's say someone in dermatology came in, Dr. Sugai, and someone would ask, oh, what's the common cause of acne, right? Like live stream, and he can answer that so the goal is never to offer medical advice, but a goal also was to 
kind of broaden that access to medical information, right? I think when we have so many questions, we go to WebMD or Mayo Clinic and we have no idea what they're talking about and we're self-diagnosing ourselves and we're creating unnecessary anxiety and stress for ourselves. So why don't we have experts to give you more of the motivation to see your provider, right? Or to see your physician or NP or PA to actually seek out for actual board certified information, right? So that's that's really what I that's really what I envisioned for the podcast is to get these experts on, talk about their fields, talk about their journeys, to show that no journey is linear, no journey is easy, and that we are people outside of our jobs. You know, I've had dentists who were ravers. I I had um a PMN. That's, a, that's PMN. a common thing for dentists. I will say. I know. <laughs> I was gonna say that too. Wait, actually, after I said it, I was like, wait, that's not that special because I feel like every dentist I know is a raver. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> honestly and that is no lie and you know what's the funny thing both of them were i had two guests for that dentist episode both of them were dentists and both of them were ravers i was like this is not an accident so yes i want to show (laughs) physicians who are into yoga i had a physician who was also a pilot and also was a jurist doctor and also was entrepreneur so i just want to show that we can do anything and everything mm-hmm. we want that we set our mind into. So, yeah, so that's the space. It's so cool. And it's it's so fun to listen to, too. It's just very authentic. Your conversations are great. And they're, they hold so much value in the medical community. So I'm, I'm grateful you made the podcast. Thank you. It was a dream come true, too. And so it became a podcast because... People were telling me, you know, it's so hard to listen to an Instagram. If I wanted to listen to it, I can't open any other app because the video has to keep on rolling. So they're mm-hmm. like, why don't you make it into a podcast? And I was like, hmm, that sounds like a good idea. So it's more accessible to people. But I still do keep the live streams, though, because I do like that, you know, like that real time comments from the people. And if they had any questions, because... When I made it, I called it a FaceTime call just with others watching and listening because <laughs> I want people to contribute to our conversation. And if you watch our live streams, it's literally like so chill. Like I'm just there drinking matcha and the other person, the doctor is just in their couch, like tending to their dog or something. So <laughs> that's literally just a FaceTime call. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Wow. We are so, so grateful that you joined us this morning on Thank the you. WOMED. And the, the medical community just is so, so, we are all so grateful to just have your light and your inspiration. And you've been through so much. I cannot thank you enough for sharing your story and sharing, you know, honestly, what were probably some of the darkest, <laughs> darkest times that you've experienced and that a lot of us have experienced. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to end on just like, a happy note what is like you you just have so much light like I wish people we we are taking some video now video <laughs> content um so people can see just like how like light and bright you are but what is like what is one thing that you just have been doing lately that just really lights you up besides your glowing face I mean yeah. your, skin your, is your, so your glowing skin hair and hair like what is <laughs> I was going to say that secret because honestly like damn like you know, I the need secret? your secrets 
Yeah. This is the secret. <laughs> the ring light. The ring light Same. is the secret. <laughs> I need to get one of those. Yeah, you do, Jerry. I just have like a <laughs> shitty little <laughs> desk light. I need to. I'm gonna order one on Amazon today. Do it. Oh my god. <laughs> I think I got this from Amazon, so yeah. That's the yeah, light. Send me the link. Me the link. <laughs> I'll find it for you. Um, what has given me light recently? Honestly, I've been studying for the MCAT, and that's brought so much darkness to my life. So <laughs> I was going to say, wait, where is this going? <laughs> so I try to insert some bits of light, but I do love... Um, getting dinner with friends and because when we go out we talk about things not within healthcare because most of my friends I hang out with are not in healthcare so I feel like it's a good deviation from that so honestly the light is my friends yeah they are small bright lights and they all collectively just become this bright ring light and (laughs) and yeah that's that so I'm so 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 advocating for a support system because it is so so important yeah so it's hanging out with friends so far i mean which i have been doing but you know i'm very i'm a creature of habit so i usually i usually tend to do the things that i usually have done so that's that i think you both should um come down to nashville and hang out with me please we should all right chris you are the best Tell everyone where where they can find you, like where to find your podcast, find you on Instagram. I was going to say Brooklyn, New York, but I guess you meant like <laughs> virtually. Um, so, yes, I'm on Instagram at Chris Franz, but it's C-H-R-S-F-R-A-N-Z. You know, someone took the I already, so I had to settle with no eyes. So it's Chris Franz. And... My podcast Instagram is Friends of Friends Pod, and that's streaming on all platforms, which I have to get advice on from Dee and Jackie because I have no idea what I'm doing with this <laughs> podcast. Because I'm the one who's doing everything with transcribing from the IG live streams to audio mm-hmm. and like editing it all episode for episode. So, yeah, I hope you. Come to listen to my episodes. I have a lot coming up from last season. and We're also still having a current season now too. And I hope that you just learn alongside with me and deep dive into the journeys of healthcare workers and to see the humanity behind the healthcare and that we all deserve love, support, and appreciation too. Thank you so much. 